Welcome to another Griffith University podcast. Um, thank you all for coming today. We just wanted to incorporate book launches this year as a, as a means of recognizing people's achievements. You know, sometimes it's five, six, seven years of research and writing that goes into a book, and it's nice uh, just to let colleagues know when it comes out. So today we have the uh, honor and privilege of allowing Associate <coughs> Professor Kaiha to be the first book launcher. Um, we've got this uh, lovely book from Cambridge University Press, China's Crisis Behavior, Political Survival and Foreign Policy After the Cold War. And I'd like to offer a small token of the Griffith Asia Institute's uh, esteem to Kai. So we ha- here we have a Barossa Valley Cabernet that will uh, make you remember how well this all went. Thank you very much. And I will uh, pass it over to Steve. Okay, um, I'm pleased to have uh, Kai to kickstart our book launch mini-series. As we know, um, uh, Kai joined us uh, last September. Before joining Griffiths, he has been teaching at uh, various institutions, which include the Spelman College at Georgia State University, the Utah State University, as well as the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. Kai's research interests include um, IR theory, international security, IPE, and Chinese politics and uh, foreign policy. Over the years, he has been published widely on these issues on some of the major international journals, which include the European Journal of IR, the European Political Science Review, Review of International Studies, Security Studies, International Politics, Cooperation and Conflict, Asian Survey, the Pacific Review, Journal of Contemporary China, the list goes on. And so far has been produced three major books, which are titled um, Institutional Balancing the Asia-Pacific, Economic Interdependence and China's Rise, with Romich in 2009, Prospect Theory and Foreign Policy Analysis in the Asia-Pacific, Prospect Theory and Foreign Policy Analysis in the Asia-Pacific, Rational Leaders and Risky Behavior, which is co-authored with Hui Yunfeng, published by Rutledge in 2013, and of course, this one which is the focus today, titled China's Crisis Behavior, Political Survival and Foreign Policy, with Cambridge in 2016. So, in the next 30 or to 40 minutes, please explain to us why we should spend $90 on this book <laughs> and why this money is well spent. Thank you, thank you, Steve, and thank you, Lou, for the nice introduction. And uh, uh, thank you for coming for this um, research seminar and also the book lunch. Then in today's presentation, I will try to uh, explain what this book is about. And also I try to uh, link this book with current international relations, especially in the South China Sea between China and the U.S., uh, try to see how this book can can tell us more about that crisis or crisis behavior of Chinese government. And the first, so this, the, the, you know, if you see the cover, uh, the photo is, uh, I, I don't know whether you recognize that, it's kind of the one of the landmark in, in Beijing, it's the, the office building of the Chinese foreign ministry. So all the decisions actually is from this building. So that's why I put this, you know, picture as a, the cover of the book. And um, the research question uh, of this book is very straightforward. It's, um, you know, we know uh, China 
experienced a lot of foreign policy crisis after the Cold War, although China has not involved in any military conflict with any nations after the Cold War, but we see a lot of crisis. We, there are some famous ones like the embassy bombing crisis between China and the U.S., EP3 incident between China and the U.S., and also have a recent one, 2012, the Scarborough Shaw crisis between China and the Philippines, and also the Diaoyu crisis between China and, uh, and Japan. So my question is, the research question of this project is, why did China adopt different strategies during those kind of foreign policy crises after the Cold War? What I mean by different strategies, if you remember the Taiwan crisis, is almost a military crisis. But uh, you know, the Diaoyu crisis is kind of diplomatic uh, in crisis. And also the Scarborough Shaw crisis is kind of uh, between the diplomatic and the military crisis, but there actually is no possibility for conflict. So I try to explain why China adopts different strategies. One strategy is to escalate a crisis, okay? And no matter you know the consequences, for example, with Japan on the Diaoyu crisis, no compromise from any level of government. But on some crises, like a like uh, you know, the Scarborough Shaw or the EP3 incident with U.S., China adopt a very flexible strategy to de-escalate the crisis. So my research question is why, and um, you know, China adopt different strategies, you know, after the Cold War with the outside world. So today I will explain, you know, uh, the theoretical framework of the book and also. You know, talk a little, you know, briefly about the two crises. And if you have other questions about the current situation, or you have interest in those kind of old cases, uh, so all written in the book, or you can, um, you know, uh, you know, ask me during the Q and A session. So, in this project, I introduce uh, a new foreign policy crisis behavior. Um, this book is about China, but uh, later on I will explain why this process or this model can also apply to uh, the foreign policy crisis of other nations. Uh, but in this book, I focus on China's crisis behavior. But in theory, uh, I integrate um, two theories okay, in foreign policy analysis or international relations to develop this model. One theory is called the neoclassical realism, which is a realist foreign policy theory emphasizing both international system impact and also domestic politics in shaping a state's foreign policy decisions. And, you know, normally uh, they treat uh, domestic politics as a causal mechanism to link the international impact and the policy outcome. The problem of this theoretical framework is there's no well-defined transmission belt of domestic variable. So scholars tend to use uh, different types of domestic variable to link the international impact and uh, the policy outcome. And the prospect theory is not an international relations theory. It's a behavioral psychology or behavioral economic theory. It's a rival theory of uh, the rational choice approach or expect utility theory. You know, try to explain people's decision under the condition of risk and, and uncertainty. The major argument of the theory is you know, how people interpret their situation of making decisions as either in a domain of gains or a domain of losses. Uh, that's kind of the interpretation or will influence how they behave in terms of whether they want to take a risk, which is a risk-acceptance behavior, or they want to avoid risk, which is a risk-worth behavior. 
this theory is developed in a lab, a laboratory experiment, uh, which is uh, then applied to uh, many fields, including political science, but the most important field is applied to the marketing, uh, economics, and uh, finance decision to try to explain how individuals make a finance decision, either buy a more bond or buy, buy more uh, uh, stock uh, or they want to sell. Uh, so the problems of this theory is there's no reference point which has helped a scholar or people to determine the domain of actions for individuals. The reference point is not a real thing, it's an arbitrary intellectual tool for political, you know, for you know, prospect theory scholar to determine uh, individual domain of action. If the you know, domain of gain, if it is below the reference point, it means this individual is framed in a domain of losses. If the individual is above this reference point, then it means you know, this individual in a domain of gains. So that's easy to man manipulate uh, in a laboratory environment, but it's kind of in reality, it's very difficult to determine you know, how to set this reference point in terms of how to determine individual you know, a domain of actions. So in this book, um, I try to apply uh, prospect theory, which is a political psychology or political, you know, psychological economic theory uh, with, you know, international relations theory together uh, to develop a model which is, can explain a leader's foreign policy decision during a crisis. Let me try to quickly explain the major argument of my book, then I will you know, tells you how I measure or how I uh, develop this model. So the two variables, okay, if you use American IR methodology, two variables, one is independent variable, one is dependent variable. Uh, the independent variable is the situational variable, which is the domain of actions of a Chinese leader. And um, the dependent variable is their behavior. Either they want to take a risk, called a risk-acceptance behavior, or they want to avoid the risk, which is risk of worse behavior. And the major argument is straightforward. So if the Chinese leaders are framed in a domain of losses, they are more likely to adopt a risk-acceptance behavior, which is, in crisis, it's a coercive policy, either military coercion or diplomatic coercion. And the terms of risk in this book defined as a possibility of war, because no one likes crisis. Okay, the worst nightmare is the crisis developed to a you know, military conflict for the leader uh, to handle. Then if Chinese leaders are framed in a, a domain of gains, uh, they are more likely to avoid risk, which is to adopt what I call a commendative policy, which is uh, uh, two types of commendative policy. One is the fully accommodation, the other is a conditional accommodation. I will explain the, how I define the dependent variable first. As I said, there are uh, four, type, uh, four, four types of behavior. Uh, accommodation, uh, full accommodation, conditional accommodation, uh, diplomatic coercion, and uh, military coercion. Uh, if you see those four cells have numbers, one, two, three, four, the number actually indicates the risk propensity of the behavior. Uh, if you have a low number, one, two, that means the risk is low. Three, four is a high number. It's, it's kind of a risk-accepting behavior. As I said, it means you know, the, the behavior will escalate the crisis to a military conflict. The assumption, by definition, the crisis, no one likes crisis. It's not the 
ordinary people, political leaders, they do not like crisis. So that's kind of the risk uh, they have to face during crisis. Then I will explain the, the independent variable, which is the domain of action, which is the major part of this research, how I can define or how can I can measure the leader's domain of action uh, you know, during crisis. I use the status quo of political survival for the top Chinese leader, which is the decision maker in the Chinese political hierarchy uh, who make all the final foreign policy, uh, foreign policy decision. So I integrate new classical realism and to use that uh, developer framework to measure the domain of action. I call it the three-factor typology of political survival status. There were three factors. is the severity of the crisis, the domestic uh, leadership authority, and the international pressure. As I explained, you know, new classical realism, they focus on the international system and the domestic politics. Then if you see two or three factors, which is the factors or the variable I borrow from the uh, framework of new classical realism. And uh, the first factor is the severity of the crisis is a unique variable which is only applied to the crisis situation. Um, there are three variables. There were three variable coders of low and high. And uh, if you see after the variable, there's a sign is either a positive sign or is a negative sign. Uh, that sign is the uh, indicated the relationship between this variable with the status of political survival of the lead, of Chinese leader. For example, the first variable is the severity of the crisis. It is measured as a low and a high. If you see, have a minus sign associated with the variable. It means this variable has a negative relationship with the status quo of political survival for the Chinese leader. It means the relation of this variable with the status of political survival is negative. It means the highest the, the severity of the crisis and the lower the status of political survival. And if you see the second variable is the domestic authority is a positive sign. It means the relation is positive. Uh, the stronger or the higher the political, you know, the higher the political authority or leadership authority, the stronger the status of political survival for the Chinese leader. So there are three variables. So each variable have a two variations. So totally, we have eight scenarios. So I will show you the full scenarios under the condition of a high crisis severity situation. Okay, so there were four uh, situations. If you see, uh, the crisis severity is high, then they have a minus sign on the top. For the international pressure and the leader's authority can either be high or low. Okay, then I use very straightforward plus and minus uh, mathematical rules to determine how I measure the political survival status for the Chinese leader. For example, you see the first, uh, if you see the first cell, okay, this first cell, it means the leaders in a condition of high, high leadership authority and face a high international pressure and the, you know, under condition of a high crisis severity situation. So if you see, have a two minus sign and a one plus sign. Okay, two minus, one plus, minus, cancel out plus, then we still have a minus sign left. It means it's below the political survival, you know, status quo, below the reference point. 
it indicates a low political survival situation for the Chinese leader. Then it will indicate a domino for losses for the Chinese leader. If you see cell 2, we have a 2 plus sign and a 1 minus sign, then we cancel 1, we still have a plus sign left. It means it's above the reference point, it have a high political survival situation, it means the leaders in a domain of gains. Um, then if you see a full, another full situation under the, situ, you know, under the condition of low crisis, low crisis severity situation, and then you will see we have a, a three cell five, six, and eight is all indicated a domain of gains. Only cell seven is a domain of loss. It means if the leader even have a low crisis situation, if the leader's authority is low, international pressure is high, the leader still the leader will still be framed in a domain of losses. Okay, so it does not mean you know the crisis is a severe. Then the leader will you know in a domain of loss. Or on the other hand, the low crisis severity will indicate a domain for uh, gains for the leader. So um, this, I know, is very abstract, okay? Um, and uh, how to measure those three variables, I will later on give you a case study and to show you how I measure that, then apply this model to the current situation between China and the U.S. in South China Sea. Uh, but uh, let me briefly talk about how I measure those kind of three variables. One is the crisis severity. I use the violence, okay, the crisis. If the, there was someone got killed during crisis, for example, EP3 incident, one pilot got killed, then this, the severity of crisis is high. Okay? If was, you know, that's kind of the violence or potential violence. Okay? And uh, the leadership authority, which is the top leader's relation with the party, with the military, and uh, his own personal authority in the system. It's kind of measured also qualitatively, but uh, basically I will see leaders' position in the party. And also, also the international pressure. International pressure is measured by the relation between China and the major power. Okay? In the case study, I will explain why you know, we code the international pressure is high or low. Okay? Then, this is the, the way I conduct this research. So, First, we see a foreign policy crisis, okay? Then, in the foreign policy crisis, I will briefly introduce this foreign policy, what happened. Then I will go to, to see who is the top leader, okay? The top leader, then I will examine three factors, which is the crisis severity, the leader's domestic authority, and also, at that time, the international pressure to China, to the leader, whether it's low or high. Then, based on the model I just explained, use the model I indicate, you know, I can measure whether the leader is in a domain of gains or in a domain of losses. Then the model will tell me what kind of behavior the model will expect. Okay, then I will compare the model result with the real, you know, reality, whether the Chinese leader adopt a risk averse policy or a risk acceptance policy during the real crisis. So this kind of the, the theoretical framework, okay, and the case study. So um, in the book, I systematically uh, examine eight crises uh, after the Cold War, uh, including uh, Jiang Zemin uh, as a top leader, including Hu Jintao as top leader. Uh, by the end of uh, Hu Jintao's term, the last two crises also talk about uh, uh, how Xi play an important role, you know, in the crisis. And also the last chapter of the book talk about the, the two 
recent crisis in 2014, uh, which is the uh, oil rig crisis between China and the Vietnam, and also the P8 crisis between China and the, and the U.S., uh, which you know the Xi uh, played a very important role because at that time Xi already became the top leader in China. So uh, the method I use is called the congruence test. So first I identify Chinese leaders' crisis behavior options. Okay, each crisis, you know, the leader can either choose to isolate the crisis or can choose to de-escalate crisis. Then I will go back to the leaders, you know, the three-factor political survival model to examine at that time how those three factors played in the important role to determine the leader's uh, domain of actions during crisis. Then use the model to predict what Chinese leader uh, should do according to the model. Uh, the mo- then the third part is to compare the model prediction with the real policy. Okay, uh, so the third part can either support my model, can also can falsify my model. Say you know your model does not explain the real situation. Then I will go to the next step to see which variable uh, play important role to refute my model, or I can further develop a model to address that issue. Okay, so I have eight cases. Uh, today I only talk about the two cases, which is the well-known case between China and the U.S., and one is between China and Japan. Is 2009 impeccable incident and the 2010 the boat collision incident between China and Japan. So 2009 the impeccable incident happened in 2009 in March. The crisis is very simple. You know the U.S. sent a civilian you know ship to the Chinese easy zone uh, in the South China Sea. Then uh, there were five uh, the Chinese fishing ships try to harass uh, U.S. civilian ship, which is the impeccable. Uh, then the U.S. Pentagon you know, launched a very strong protest to the Chinese government. So that's kind of the what happened in the beginning of the impeccable incident. And uh, at that time, Hu Jintao is the top leader. Uh, so I will see uh, there were three factors. Uh, you know how those factors uh, can tell the story of what Hu Jintao's domain of action. So in terms of the crisis severity, the nature of the crisis is no casualty, you know, just harassment, and uh, try to harass the civilian activity of the, of the U.S. Navy activity in the easy zone of Chinese, you know, in the South China Sea. Uh, so the severity is low. Then how about the dom- who's domestic authority? In 2009 is already the second term of Hu Jintao. Uh, so who has already consolidated his power? So I called as a high as a Hu Jintao's domestic authority. International pressure at that time, 2009, if you remember at that time, you know, after the 2008 uh, financial crisis, you know, China is, is a big star in the international system and become the people love China, and especially after the Olympic Games, you know, at that time China, you know, has very low international pressure from outside. Uh, so if we go back to the model, then we can put Xi in a cell 6, which is the highest political survival status, which is uh, indicated who make a decision in the domain of gains. So the model will predict China will adopt a risk-averse policy. In reality, China did try to de-escalate the crisis, did not send uh, more 
or fishing ships or you know the, the government ships to continue harass uh, U.S. Uh, civilians activity in the South China Sea, although China launched a very strong diplomatic protest. There's one twist of Chinese behavior, which is uh, cannot explain by this model, which is China domestically, in the domestic media, China launched a very strong anti-hegemony you know, campaign in the domestic media, although China, you know, international behavior, which is the uh, foreign, behavior, foreign policy behavior towards the U.S. is uh, a commendation, but the domestic uh, politics play a very important role, especially the nationalism compare, you know, play a very important role for Hu Jintao to, uh, to launch an anti-hegemony campaign in the domestic media. In uh, 2010, you know, uh, the boat collision crisis between China and Japan is well known. It lasted for about several weeks, actually uh, uh, 17 days. So basic story is, uh, you know, Chinese fishing uh, ships collide with Japanese Coast Guard uh, ships, then actually damage one of the Chinese, uh, Japanese Coast Guard ships. Then there were 15 Chinese fishermen got contained, you know, detained by the Japanese government, and the Japanese government threatened to use a domestic law to, to charge the captain of the, uh, of the Chinese uh, fishing ships. Then during that time, if we see Hu Jintao's domain of action, it's, uh, you know, the severity of the crisis is, uh, I call it as a high, because at that time, not only have some damage, uh, you know, in terms of the violence, but also we have a 15 Chinese fishermen uh, got detained is a hostage situation. And the domestic authority did not change, you know, only one year. It's still a very strong domestic authority for Hu Jintao in the decision-making process, but the international pressure got, uh, you know, I call that high. There are two reasons for this become a high, because if you remember, you know, uh, in July uh, 2010, in the ARF meeting, this is the first time for Secretary uh, Clinton, uh, you know, launch attack on Chinese policy in South China Sea uh, by saying, you know, South China Sea is one of the U.S. national interests. And uh, so... That's kind of the first time for the U.S. to get directly involved in the South China Sea dispute between China and uh, its neighbors. And also, although um, U.S. launched a pivot or rebalancing strategy towards Asia officially in 2011, you know, in November when Obama visited Australia, however, U.S. already started the pivot efforts, you know, starting in the 2010. So at that time, China faced a lot of international pressure, which is very, you know, relatively high compared to the uh, 2009 crisis between China and the U.S. regarding the impeccable uh, civilian activity of the U.S. Navy ships. Okay, so if we use the model, we can code, we can, you know, put Hu Jintao in a cell one, which is a low political survival status. We have a high severity, uh, high domestic authority high international pressure, then the model will predict China will adopt a risk acceptance policy, which is, uh, in reality, we see a lot of diplomatic coercion um, from political pressure to the, the rare earth export restriction, you know, many, many um, diplomatic coercive efforts from the Chinese government uh, eventually forced the Japanese government to drop the charge against the Chinese captain and also retain the captain uh, to 
to the Chinese government. So the reason I choose those two cases just show you, you know, first the uh, second case actually I you know my model predict a hundred percent, but for the first case my model only predict Chinese behavior towards U.S. but did not predict the Chinese domestic anti-hegemony campaign. So the model is falsifiable. It's not to explain everything, only explain part of the story. But in my view, it's one of the most important story in terms of trying to explain Chinese foreign policy behavior. Okay, this is about the case in the book. So all the research, social science research, one legitimate question about social science research is to say, okay, you tell a good story in the book, but how you can use the, the theory of the book to explain the current issue or the future crisis of Chinese behavior. And the, right now we see an increasing tension between China and the U.S., especially in South China Sea, regarding the U.S. Uh, IFO operation, the freedom of navigation operation and, you know, in the South China Sea and also related to Chinese island building activities. And um, so far, since 2014, U.S. conduct two uh, very high-profile FON operations uh, in South China Sea, one in the, in the Spratly Island, and the other is in the Paracel. In Spratly, it happened in October 2015. Early this year, U.S. conduct another one uh, in January uh, in the Paracels. So, I do not want to discuss who is wrong, who is right, okay, who owns those kind of South China Sea, or okay, who did a, a wrong thing or a right thing. But uh, to a certain extent, you know, uh, in my view, the South China Sea already become a playground, okay, between China and the U.S. to compete for power, for influence, which is unfortunately thing. Um, but that's kind of the, you know, what the great power uh, will do, okay, uh, in the system. So uh, my interest is to investigate um, how Chinese government responded to those kind of crisis situation, which is the FON operation by the U.S. government. The, for the first FON operation in Sabratli, you know, in October, uh, Chinese government protest, okay, diplomatically, but did not do anything further, okay? And um, for the second one, which is in the Paracels, okay, China also protest diplomatically, but it's reported China deployed missile on the Woody Island as a response. And still, China did not do anything further to disturb or to intercept U.S. operation. So in my view, uh, Chinese behavior is kind of accommodation, okay? Try to de-escalate the crisis between U.S. and China in South China Sea because the Chinese, what Chinese government do is just let them go, then we protest, then after the operations, they just return. So there's nothing happened, okay? And um, even in the second uh, crisis situation, the FON, the Chinese uh, Navy even have encountered with the American Navy in South China Sea. You know, they even say hello to each other. Uh, basically, there's, uh, we see the media, you know, have a lot of, you know, uh, report about uh, the dangerous encounter, but uh, actually there's nothing happened. So China did not try to, uh, disrupt, uh, you know, U.S. operation in the South China Sea. So, if you see the crisis severity, okay, uh, it's a regular, we call the cat and the mouse game between China and the U.S. Basically, the U.S. Navy come, then China follow, then nothing happen, then U.S. just declare its uh, FON, you know, rights in the South China Sea. Uh, so, basically, 
I see is a is a regular cat and mouse game. So I said the crisis severity is low. Okay. Then if you see the the second variable, which is the leader's authority, we know Xi Jinping came to power in 2000. Uh, 13, then you know, have a lot of uh, success uh, in in consolidating its power through the anti-corruption campaign. Okay, and the, this two crises, one is happening in October 2015, and one is in early this year. During that time, I can see the domestic authority of Xi is still strong. Okay, but it's not say you know Xi already consolidated its power, become the the Mao types of leader or even Deng types of leader, but. Uh, during that time, I argue the domestic authority of Xi is strong. Okay, and uh, then we see the international pressure. You know, U.S. pivot efforts. Okay, that's very successful. Actually, uh, got a lot of support from Southeast Asian country and also from Australia. And uh, I have to say, you know, Chinese behavior is very difficult to explain. Okay, it's in my view, it's a self-destructive behavior. Try to um, you know do those kind of stupid things in South China Sea and make the relation with other countries got a problem. So I will call the international pressure is very high during that time. So if you see the crisis severity is low, domestic authority is high, international pressure is high, uh, you know, international pressure is, uh, is high, then we use that uh, model I explained, she is in a domain of gains. Although it's not the highest uh, position domain of gains, still in domain of gains, because we have uh, one positive, Two positive, one negative. So we cancel one, still have a positive. So this ex model explains why China adopt I call it accommodative policy uh, towards U.S. regarding the FOO and operation in South China Sea. However, I have to say, it does not mean China will continue this accommodative policy towards U.S. if something happens in the future. For, for example, if you see, we see the regular game is the cat and the mouse game, okay, between China and the U.S., you know, one-on-one, -on -one, okay? Uh, but uh, recent reports say, you know, the U.S. already invited the Philippines to join the FON activities or operation. So the nature of the game will change to a, a gunfight, okay? So compromise to the U.S. is one thing, but a compromise to the Philippines is another thing in the mind of a Chinese leader's calculation. So if that happens, then may change the crisis severity to a low, from a low to a high, okay? Then the domestic authority, as I said, in January, we do not see any problem for Xi's uh, dominant uh, authority in the party. However, just before the National Congress, in the Chinese internet system, they have anonymous anti-Xi uh, letter from the party member. So it means what? It means she already we see the success of the anti-corruption, but uh, she may face a serious challenge inside of party. So she's of political domestic authority may change too. Then the last international pressure, if the U.S. or other country still try to push China or keep pressure on China, then what I want to argue is in the future FON operation, those three factors may change, may corner Xi in a position of domain of losses. Then Xi may adopt a different strategy, which is not a accommodative policy, but a coercive policy towards the U.S. or towards the outside world. So in conclusion, I try to 
in the book try to say Chinese leadership transition actually increased the uncertainty of Chinese behavior uh, in the future. Okay, other states, especially the U.S., should pay more attention to the Chinese leaders' domain of action during foreign policy crisis, and also other states, also including Australia. Okay, I think it's a, it's a good decision. It's a wise decision for Canberra to say no to the U.S. invitation. Uh, for the IFON operation in South China Sea. Because as I said, uh, you know, Australians can go there by, the, by themselves. I think Australia did that, okay? Like the Australian freedom of navigation operation in South China Sea. Uh, the China even, I don't think China even care about that, okay? It's also a cat and mouse game. You know, Chinese Navy may follow you, but there's no, not even a protest from the Chinese government. But if U.S. and Australia join, you know, by, by the Philippines to have this kind of high-profile, you know, protest against Chinese, then it may change the, the nature of the crisis. So the last thing I want to highlight is, as I said, this model in the book only applies to the Chinese decision-making process, but if you see the model itself, actually, it has the potential to apply to other countries' crisis behavior, too, because you can change the measurement of those three variables. For example, the domain of, you know, the leader's authority, okay? In Chinese context, we talk about the Chinese leader's relation with the party. However, in, in Australia, maybe we see the prime minister's approval rating in the society or in, in the parliament. Uh, so, uh, in the book, I only focus on Chinese behavior, but as a social science method or social science theory, it has a potential to apply to other cases, including other countries' crisis behavior. Thank you. For more Griffith University podcasts, go to www.griffith.edu.au forward slash podcasts.